0: Live from our nation's capital.
1: President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion dollar pandemic relief package. We're not going to hear any more about Operation Warp Speed. They're going to be calling it the COVID response. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights.
2: Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do
3: you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? The
2: House has been
0: voting for this stimulus package basically for months. This This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Impeachment day two. And meanwhile, Mitch McConnell signals that a Trump conviction would be a GOP conscience vote. Vote your conscience, is what Leader McConnell now is telling the Republican caucus. A lot to get through. I, I got to be honest, folks, I'm a little speechless right now because uh, a, a colleague of mine and, and a producer on the program, Matthew Shirley, who's uh, as part of the Sound On family here on Bloomberg Radio, is in the office, socially distanced, of course, but I was not expecting to see one of my indefatigable teammates, Christine Murata, when you're coming in, and I— <laughs> i am a little bit speechless. So I, it, you know, it's awkward to be speechless on a radio show, but it's great to have Matt in the office. It's it's a lonely office here in these socially distant times. Enough of that. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We begin tonight, of course, with day two of the impeachment trial against former President Donald Trump uh, and, and the testimony on Capitol Hill from the first of two days of Democratic House managers making their case against the former president. I I've got sounds on this from Congressman Jamie Raskin, a Democrat from Michigan, who is the lead House impeachment manager, and he kicked off the proceedings today. Take a listen. It makes no difference what the ideological content of the mob was. And if we license and forgive incitement to violent insurrection by militant Trump followers this week, you can be sure there will be a whole bunch of new ideological flavors coming soon. Meanwhile, House impeachment manager Joe Negus of Colorado outlined the actions of President Trump before and on January 6th and says that the president, the former president now, didn't want to stop his supporters who were engaged in the Capitol siege. Here's the sound on that. If as soon as this had started, President Trump had simply gone on to TV, just logged onto Twitter and said, stop the attack. If he had done so with even half as much force as he said, stop the steel. How many lives would we have saved? The Republican response has been largely critical of the Democrats and the argument that they are making. Senator Tim Scott, a Republican from South Carolina, said earlier today on Fox News that he believed it was nothing more than political theater. And Senator Mike Braun, a Republican from Indiana, noted that it would take 17 Republican senators who would have to side with Democrats in order to convict Trump. Here's sound on that from Senator Braun.
4: After that, when you had one senator that changed a point of view, uh, I think that's... Uh, says a lot. So, uh, I think that pretty well fixes in place what you might see as the eventual outcome.
1: He was alluding to Senator Bill Cassidy, a Republican who last evening switched his thoughts on whether or not the constitution whether or not the trial itself that they are conducting is constitutional. Senator Cassidy was one of 7 uh, Republican senators who voted that it was, in fact, constitutional, joining with the Democrats. And the trial, again, continues. Most folks expect that that final vote, again, a long shot that former President Trump will be convicted, uh, will happen early Early uh, next week. Let's bring in the all star panel, Jeannie Sean Zeno, a Bloomberg politics contributor, and George C., a CEO of Annandale Capital, Texas businessman, and a former senior advisor to Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign. He has also served at the State Department as well, and we're thrilled to have him uh, back on the program. Uh, George, I'll start with you because the the, the divide right now and the focus on the impeachment is really a reconciliation, so to speak, for the future of the Republican Party. What are your Republican sources telling you in Texas, in the business community in particular, about where the Republican Party goes post-impeachment round two?
2: Well, hi, Kevin. I, I think that's a good line of inquiry, and it, it's fitting in terms of being outside of the fever lands and the highly partisan blue centers of the country and highly partisan red centers of the country to be fair but down down here in texas we're more focused on the economy and getting things started up and getting past the pandemic and getting people vaccinated who are most at risk and china and russia and north korea and some of these major issues that really affect the country and i would disagree with republicans and say this is all politics this is really serious business but what i would agree with republicans on is that this is going to amount to a bunch of nothing. He's already been impeached once before. He's not going to be convicted. They're not going to get 67 votes to convict him on this. And I, I think it's it's really a waste of the people's time and money. I don't think it's going to amount to anything substantive at all, but it will play out as it will play
1: out. You know, let me follow up here before uh, Jeannie and I uh, talk about this. But do you think that the vote on uh, Sunday or Monday, whenever it ultimately uh, comes down, uh, and again, folks, in terms of the process, uh, Democrats are going to wrap up their case tomorrow, and then the Republicans, or the, rather President Trump's defense, will have eight hours, and then they'll have that final vote. But do you think that if a Republican votes to convict, that that is a bad vote in the sense that the Republican Party in his or her state would revolt against them?
2: I think it depends on the state. I think somebody like Ben Sass is pretty immune to all these kind of things. I think Mitt Romney's pretty immune to these kind of things. But if if a senator from Texas voted to convict or a senator in South Dakota voted to convict, I think there would be political ramifications. I think it's a state-by-state consideration, and I think the politics are less important than the fact that something terrible happened on January 6th. And we would all would acknowledge that. And I think, you know, people who want to move on with the country and think it's in the best interest of the country to move on would like to just get this over with because it's not going to lead to anything substantive.
1: Jeannie, uh, Jeannie, uh, come in here in terms of the developments of today. There was some other gripping testimony when one of the democratic house impeachment managers showed the video of Capitol Hill police directing Senator Romney, uh, that George just, uh, mentioned to move away from the rioters who were on site inside of the Capitol. Uh, and, and, in many ways, uh, Prevented him from a very close encounter with some of those individuals, uh, Jeannie. So another another day of reliving January sixth.
3: Yes, and and seeing things that we hadn't seen before, and I would agree with you, gripping is the word that comes to mind. The prosecutors are doing an absolutely stellar job of presenting their case. They have been very methodical going through minute by minute of what occurred, and of course they started well before January 6th to make the case against the president. Um, I, I, I would like to jump on to what you and George were just talking about because it's really important when George says this is going to amount to nothing, and and that is, you know, we can't prognosticate, can't read the future, but that is likely the case. Very hard to imagine you get 17 Republicans since the testimony yesterday was so gripping and we only got one to move. And so that really raises a broader question in my mind. You can see or I can see why Americans are really, really frustrated with American government and politics, because... Let's face it, we're engaging in all of this and we know the outcome is going to be an acquittal. What is the point? And when you ask members of Congress and you ask other people, particularly Democrats who are gonna vote in favor of it, it's really hard for me to get a good answer, which to me suggests we need another way to keep presidents, you know, held responsible if impeachment is going to be sort of this empty vessel a case like this is a case. If any of them should work, should work, and it's clearly not going to.
1: Well, what do you say to folks who say that that voting is the is the mechanism, voting at the ballot box, that voters make their and uh, and and make their make their case uh, heard, and and that they're the ones who are holding the uh, the folks accountable.
3: They absolutely did. They changed administrations. I would just suggest that another way to do this would be give us a mechanism for a vote of no confidence in between election cycles, which are every four years for the president. You know, means like that to hold people accountable seem in my mind to be a better option than these impeachment trials, which I am concerned are going to become more and more common in our lifetime. They already have been and absolutely amount to a hill of beans. I mean, we've got a current (laughs) president who tells us that he's not even paying attention to the trial and rightly so for political reasons. But of course, it's great political theater, but this should be more than theater.
1: You know, it's 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 fascinating. I think it, to live through uh, this moment uh, of history that we're all uh, going through uh, collectively, and it and just to see how the political culture and all that 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 those two words in, encompass, right, including political journalists as well as the divided and polarized political uh, uh, journalism landscape, uh, and how that. And social media platforms and the like, how all of that will one day be remembered. It's it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch that evolution. Coming up on the program, we're going to continue this conversation with Congressman John Garamendi. He is a Democrat, of course, from um, California. And and I'm also going to ask him about some geopolitics. uh, And we're going to get to, of course, the stimulus talk, because earlier today, uh, President Biden uh, uh, spoke to members of the Defense Department. So there's a lot going on on the geopolitical front so, and, and on the U.S.-China front as well. But to wrap up our impeachment and our lead story today, uh, George, just in the in the, the minute that I have left for right now, uh, it, is it a political risk for 2024 for any of the prospective candidates in the Republican Party to vote to convict President Trump?
2: I, I think they're dead if they do that. Uh, wow. I'm not saying that it's it's a wow. matter of conscience, like Mitch McConnell said, that they shouldn't vote their conscience. I, I'm fine with that. But there's so much anger out there on the left and the right, both. And a lot of people see this through a purely political prism, unlike a substantive prism, because we all know we're not going to get to the substance on this matter in, the, in this point in time. And so they're going to look at it politically. And if you try to run in a primary after you voted to convict Trump, you're you're, you're dead on arrival. It's not going to
1: work. You know, and that is, that is a really... Uh, let me tell you something, folks. George C. knows the Republican landscape and the players and the candidates and the prospective candidates. He knows them personally. So, I mean, to hear that is that is great analysis. All right, coming up next, we talk about the fiscal stimulus. I'm Kevin Cerule. This is Bloomberg.
0: this is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for uh, Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I-, I was talking to a source today over lunch, and a, a-, a Republican source, and 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 essentially, uh, we were talking about U.S.-China relations and how uh, Republicans are going to be really critical of Democrats for not going far enough in terms of being tough on China, but. There's this acceptance amongst Republicans and Democrats. When I talk to Republicans, especially uh, on background, that there's a lot of agreement on many of the issues. Um, and we're going to talk more geopolitics coming up. And we've got an all-star panel to do so with. Jeannie Shanzano is with me, as well as George C. of Annandale Capital. Cap- ah, George, I'm going to get it out. Here it comes. The CEO of Annandale Capital. Ugh, tongue-tied, George. Um on the ge- What's <laughs> No, it's... or. Or I've had too much coffee today. It's one or the other. I think, I think it's the latter. But before we do that on the geopolitical front, let's first discuss the stimulus. Because earlier today, a senior Senate Democrat highlighted comments by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on the weak state of the job market in his push for a longer period of enhanced unemployment benefits top house republicans have uh, criticized president biden and congressional democrats for continuing to pursue a legislative strategy for the administration's 1.9 trillion dollar relief plan that sets the gop aside but five house committees uh, have already begun acting on their parts of the stimulus bill so it's, it's going through committee as we've been reporting as we've been discussing And it's happening incredibly quickly because Democrats have decided that they are not going to pursue bringing in Republicans. How much or is that a political miscalculation, George, and why?
2: It's a complete miscalculation, but the the Democrats have seized all three areas, the executive branch and both houses of Congress, and they're going to ramrod through what they want to get through, and they're going to be held accountable one way or another what the american people thinks of it in the 2022 elections and i think they're going to lose the house as a result and they may lose the senate but I, w- I just wish they had come to a compromise and and gotten somewhere between the 600 uh billion that the republicans offered which is a huge amount of money on top of the 900 billion we did about a month and a half ago and the 1.9 trillion which is laden with democrat wish list goodies on the top end and settle for a billion or <laughs> somewhere in there that would help the people most suffering and most hurting from, from this pandemic and this economy that's been on its back for a while and not overstimulate the economy. So we get inflation and maybe stagflation after that. And it seems like we're on a sugar high and, and too much is not enough. And eventually our debt is going to get so high. It's going to be really hard to service it unless interest rates stay low. And that's a really bad bet. So I, I think it's, They think it's good politics. I I don't think so. I think it's going to backfire.
1: Get this. I mean, here's here's something that, you know, you can hear the campaign ads uh, being being written and recorded virtually right now. Uh, The Senate Finance Committee, as well as other Senate panels in the in the upper chamber, they're skipping formal hearings and votes on the stimulus. Why? Because of the time taken up by the impeachment trial. Cheney, Sean, is not going to sit well. You can't. You hear them now that out on the on the re-election campaign trail. Democrats are more interested in the impeachment than they were on. On uh, having a, a, a hearing on the stimulus, Jean,
3: and addressing COVID relief. To your yeah. point, and you know, I think what we're seeing here is uh, Joe Biden, who lived through the '09, uh, what many people has described described as a, a you know a mistake in the Obama years, when many people felt the stimulus was too small, the recovery was too weak. But to George's point, more importantly, probably from their perspective, it was a political disaster for them in the midterms. So. I I think there's an effort here to try not to repeat the mistake of 09 that resulted in the, I can't remember if that was the shellacking year or <laughs> which year that was yeah. for the midterm. But it
1: all blurs together. It
3: all blurs together. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing here. And I think that Democrats feel strongly that if they can get close to this $2 trillion, this $1.9 trillion, then they will avoid that. And I think that is a big, big question yet to be answered. But I would also ask i mean i have asked my democratic friends if you're going to do that And we face inflation, as Larry Summers has has told us.
1: How are you going to
3: fulfill the mission of building back better? All the things that need to be done from infrastructure on down. Because you can't do both unless you raise taxes, and that's unpalatable as well. So to me, that question has yet to be answered.
1: Well, and and to your point precisely, I mean, uh, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, he warned just the other week in that WAPO uh, uh, column uh, that – that there could be a one point that the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus bill could overheat the economy. I mean, when Larry Summers making that argument, so you know for a fact, uh, Jeannie, that that when you have people like the Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden of Oregon, a Democrat, uh, quoting quoting uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell, who says that quote, we are still very far from a strong labor market whose benefits are broadly shared. End quote. Uh, uh, you know that they were they were thankful for the political cover. Quickly, Jeannie.
3: It, absolutely thankful for the cover, and I think Biden still has to be careful about losing even one of Mansion or Cinema mm-hmm. or one of these folks. They go, and this effort to push this through is going to be uh, be stonewalled.
1: And I still go back. I I think when I I talked to a uh, Mansion aide earlier this week, yesterday, and they're on board for the stimulus. It's the other issues coming up and the political capital that the Biden administration is expending right now. That's why, candidly, in the shorter, longer term, is that even a word? Uh, It matters. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next. This is Bloomberg. You're
0: listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we talk geopolitics as well as an interview with Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from Cali, California. I'm joined by none other than Janie Shanzano, as well as George C., CEO of Annandale Capital. Uh, I want to continue our conversation about some new remarks from Fed Chairman Jay Powell, who discussed the state of the economy and whether or not there's a need for more economic stimulus. I've got sound on this from the Fed Chairman. Take a listen.
0: Given the number of people who have lost their jobs, and the likelihood that some will struggle to find work in the post-pandemic economy achieving
2: and sustaining maximum employment will require more than supportive monetary policy it will require a society-wide commitment with contributions from across government and the private sector
1: that was the uh, central bank chairman i mean george uh, you, you said what many Republicans are, are saying publicly is that this is a, a sugar high and that, that we can't afford this. I mean, when you hear uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell make those remarks, uh, what, are you, what are you seeing in the economy uh, in Texas that is different than uh, what uh, Fed Chairman Powell is seeing?
2: Yeah, I think what the chairman is not uh, recognizing is that in the Obama administration, which when they took power in 2009, Inflation, uh, the unemployment rate did not fall below 6.7% until 2015, six years later. We're at unemployment of 6.7% today. So the job market is actually much more robust than it was after the Great Recession. It's, it's actually not in good shape, but it's not in terrible shape either. And we, we are likely to overheat. And I, I would go, go back to the federal debt and the interest on the federal debt. If we were to go back to a 4% average rate on the federal debt, which is pretty low still by historical standards, at 30 trillion in in federal debt, which is where we're headed. That would be 1.2 trillion in interest costs alone, and that's where we've got to be really careful about all this all this fiscal stimulus. It's 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 probably more than we need. I, I think we do need one more round of stimulus, but very targeted towards pandemic relief, vaccine relief, and Spurring Main Street and spurring jobs for for the economy, and, and the Democrats have got an awful lot more in their package than that, and it's unnecessary and it's wasteful spending, and it's going to move the debt up, and it's going to put us in a very precarious financial situation. So I want
1: to I want to be clear here. You're saying that that you and other Republicans support there being uh, additional funds and stimulus to to make sure that the vaccination effort stays on track is is. Uh, efficient, uh, the millions, hundreds of millions of vaccines that we're ultimately going to need—100 million in the next couple months—that that's well executed. But what you don't like is that it's it's close to two trillion dollars.
2: Yeah, and and bailing out blue states that have been recklessly spending for a very very long period of time because it's politically expedient for the Democrats to do so, and being fiscally profligate and and doing irresponsible stuff that's going to hurt our country in the long run. I I just really don't. I don't think that's a Republican viewpoint. I think Larry Summers, who I'd probably agree with less than half the
1: time, <laughs> is very smart. I would say less than that. I, George, I know you pretty well, buddy. I don't he's think you agree team. with Larry Summers. I would say 10% of the time. But, hey, who am I? Go ahead.
2: But he's in, he's in our camp on this deal, and he's right. I agree with him.
1: Jeannie come in here because I mean it's, it's fascinating to, to see uh, George uh, use that what I said yesterday, the, the word that has not been used as frequently as was utilized during 2008 and that's the bailout word. Yes.
3: And one thing I would question, because I, too, think that Larry Summers makes a really important point, and I support more targeted uh, assistance, if you will, or more targeted stimulus. That said, something my Republican friends don't seem to be able to address, at least as far as I've heard, is that the other thing Powell said, which was the unemployment rate, and George is right, it's fallen from about 15%, a little less than 15% to 6%. Yet, it is dramatically understated, according to Powell. And it is amongst the biggest 12 month drops in the labor force participation rate since 1948. He also said the impact has been particularly difficult on low earners, people in that bottom quartile. So those issues have got to be addressed. We can't always look at that top line unemployment rate and say, well, we're at 6% now, 6.3, whatever we are right now. And so we're doing a lot better than expected because you do have this enormous drop in participation and you do have a particularly difficult challenge for people who are low earners, which of course is nothing new even prior to the pandemic. And that is not just an economic problem. It's a societal problem as well. So when we talk about a stimulus package, to me, that is what has to be addressed. I agree. Small businesses, but those people in those bottom segments, that has to be
1: addressed. It's a really interesting point. All right, let's pivot now to geopolitics. Uh, uh, diving into my Bloomberg terminal, great report from my colleagues, Peter Martin, Salamis, and, and Nick Wadhams. Biden and Xi plan first call as soon as tonight. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are preparing to speak on Wednesday for the first time since the new administration in Washington took office last month, according to two people familiar with the matter. The conversation between the leaders of the world's two biggest economies will take place as tensions between them remains high over issues, including Beijing's tightening grip on Hong Kong, trade technology and the South China Sea, among other issues. It comes as Biden visited the uh, Pentagon. (laughs) The Pentagon earlier or the uh, uh, with today, and he had directed Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to establish a task force to review the U.S. national security policy with respect to China. George, what do you want to see? What do you what do you hope to get on the readout between uh, the call with Biden and Xi tonight?
2: I'm not optimistic. I, I think China is not a friendly competitor anymore. They're an adversary, and I think that they're a real threat to global stability and. And freedom around the world, and all the the negative things China's done the last several years, whether it's uh, imprisoning and 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 uh, profiling their their Muslim citizens, and the South China Sea warlike effort, and the the cover up of the pandemic, and everything else. I think the president's got his hands full, and I'm I'm cheering for him. I think it's very important that we continue to do business with China, but do so in a very wary, harsh. Tough way because that's that's the only language they understand.
1: So, what what specific policies on the business front? Because I've, I well, and we'll continue this conversation uh, th- really throughout the next couple of weeks and months. Because when I talk to folks in the business community, especially who have a more conservative perspective, it, it's. They understand. They recognize that we're in a global economy, but it's that balancing act—that balancing act uh, of doing business uh, with China—that has just continued to to perplex uh, United States at the C level, C-suite level, and uh, of course in the policymaking. George, my friend, thank you so much for spending time with me. I know I got to let you go. You're always so generous uh, with your time. Jeannie's going to stick around. That's George C. He is the CEO of Annandale Capital. He's worked in the Pen- uh, the, he's worked at the state's Department. he's a texas businessman and he's a former senior advisor to marco rubio's 2016 presidential campaign i'm kevin cerilli congressman garamendi up next this is bloomberg
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied none other than by Jeannie Shanzano, a Bloomberg politics contributor. Joining us on the line, Congressman John Garamendi. Returning to the Bloomberg Sound on Radio platform programs, he represents California's third congressional district, which is the upper middle of California, suburb, sub, uh, suburbs of Sacramento, a.k.a. this is in this is in uh, Christine Virada's show notes, wine country. John Garamendi, you've got wine country in your district.
4: I have great wine country in my district. I have a great agricultural district. It is just stretches out across the Sacramento Valley beginning uh, just east of the Bay Area and 199.6 miles of the Great Sacramento River including part of the city and the suburbs of Sacramento.
1: You know, this is probably going to sound a little district. a little odd, but I, it, one of my favorite parts of my job is is getting to talk to house members uh, talk about their district because the, the, they light up. Really, they do. Um, anyway, uh, but I want to talk geopolitics before we talk about the impeachment, because there's been some really interesting developments. And you, sir, of course, are a member of the House Armed Services Committee, and you are the chairman of the Subcommittee on Readiness, as, and you're a member of the Subcommittee on Strategic Forces. Um, President Biden tonight is expected to speak with Chinese President Xi Jinping. What do you hope comes out of that conversation?
4: I think a very honest, straightforward discussion about the, uh, the competition uh, that we now have and will have for many years to come with China. Uh, and that competition can be uh, just up and down uh, commercial competition, which would be good without one or the other of us taking advantage. For example, uh, China is for a long, long time taking advantage of its position as a non um, what am I looking for here uh, as a developing country? hardly a developing country, but that's giving them an enormous advantage in international trade issues. So, you know, eliminate those and let's go head to head. And and by the way, stop stealing our stuff and you're not going to push us out of the South China Sea and don't threaten our allies. A lot of things to talk about there.
1: Well, they're going to talk about tariffs, and, and, and President Biden has said uh, just the other week uh, to the New York Times that he's not immediately going to lift the tariffs uh, against Beijing uh, that the Trump administration had, had put in place. How much bipartisanship is there, uh, Congressman Garamendi, between uh, your colleagues in the Democratic Party and Republicans on how to best deal with China?
4: I deal with them straightforward. No huffing, no puffing. Uh, You don't don't have to pound your chest. We're a very strong. America is a strong country. It has interests in the Pacific. China knows that. Let them know that we're going to maintain those interests. We're going to build our allies, and then we're not going to be uh, pushed around. At the same time, uh, we don't need to threaten China, but but both countries need to understand that they're going to be uh, in competition for years to come. But it doesn't have to be military competition as long as China doesn't try to push us out of certain key um, interests that we have, uh, including Japan and uh, South Korea and and the South China Sea. Uh, Along the way, we really need to spend time, and Biden administration seems to want to do this, to build alliances and rebuild the alliances uh, throughout the world, and particularly in the Pacific. And that means trade deals. We have got to uh, put our trade deals back together. Trump basically threw him aside, not good. Uh, the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, Trump terminated that. The result of it was China stepped in and, and basically took it over. Uh, so now we've got to catch up on that.
3: Representative Garamendi, it's uh, Jeannie Zeno uh, coming to you from New York. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, given what we've been seeing yesterday and today in terms of some of these really horrific videos in in the impeachment trial, we've heard also talk that there were members of the military participating in the riot. And as a member of the Armed Services Committee, What is your expectation of the new defense secretary in terms of these efforts to combat extremism? And are you doing anything on armed services to that end?
4: Well, first of all, the new secretary is on this issue. Uh, He knows that this is a major problem. Uh, Being African-American, he fully understands the kind of discrimination he saw throughout his career. Uh, And uh, a lot of that is white nationalism. It has to be rooted out of, taken out of, destroyed in the military. We can't simply can't have that. Uh, and uh, I believe he'll do it. With regard to what we've been doing, it's to enable that. Uh, we've also taken steps to eliminate the uh, names of traitors uh, that uh, dot the various uh, military bases. These are folks that uh, were the high command of the uh, Confederates uh, in the Civil War. Uh, so that is underway. And we are providing specific authority and responsibility uh, to the military to deal both with uh, systemic racism as well as... Um, uh, um, I'm looking for the right word here. Uh, but those that yeah. is underway within the military. Now, beyond that, uh, we're clearly looking at how we're going to... Uh, address the issue of military people, former and uh, current, that have participated in the mob. Uh, we we'll know who we now know who many of them are. We'll know who more of them are in the days ahead, and uh, they will be appropriately disciplined, some of them in civil and others in the uh, military courts.
1: How do you think the uh, Democratic House impeachment managers, Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California, how do you think your colleagues are doing in making their case uh, to the country?
4: I think they're brilliant. I think the presentations that we have saw yesterday uh, and again today, these are brilliant descriptions of the problem, a compelling, uh, emotional and thoughtful and present a clear case in which the president clearly brought to Washington a mob and then incited them to not only attack the Capitol, which in and of itself is horrible, but really to to overthrow the democracy, to stop the election. That's what this was all about. That's why January 6th was was selected as the date for his uh, counter-demonstration here in Washington. It was all about stopping the election, that is, the final certification of the election so that he could remain in power.
1: To, to 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 Republicans who say that this is political theater and that the outcome of the trial is already known and that this is a waste of time, your response will be what? My response is,
4: if a five-year-old kid is acting out in kindergarten, then he needs to be held accountable. You know, go to the corner, uh, time out, whatever. This is a president that tried to overthrow the constitutional government of the United States. He needs to be held accountable. Not just... To uh, make it clear to him that it was wrong, but also in the future that this is simply not going to happen in America. People have to be held accountable for their misdeeds. And this was a major misdeed. Sedition is the right word to be used here.
1: I want to pivot to geopolitics, and I only have you for, for 90 more seconds, so unfortunately this has to be quick. Uh, uh, president Biden has said that he is not going to lift sanctions uh, against Iran uh, in order to try to bring them back to the negotiation table for the nuclear disarmament talks. Now, t- earlier, within the, or within the last 24 hours, Iran's president, Rouhani, has said he has urged world powers to rejoin the nuclear deal, most notably uh, the United States. It, it, do you agree with President Biden that tariffs should be or, and restrictions should be left in place uh, until they start following uh, the, the, the terms of the agreement that they had agreed to?
4: Uh, this is a, a, a very complex puzzle uh, that was uh, largely scattered by, the, uh, by Trump when he pulled the United States out of it. Putting those pieces of the puzzle back together again uh, is intricate and uh, time consuming we need to take the time to put the pieces back together so that iran will not have a nuclear weapon anytime soon or anytime into the future but there are other pieces of this that need to be uh, Mm -hmm. considered so i would give the president sufficient time to work through the intricacies uh and eventually he has said he wants to get back into the deal fine let's do it in the right and the best way
1: All right. My thanks to Congressman John Garamendi, and and please come back on to to continue to talk about the pieces of that puzzle. It's a very important geopolitical issue. February is Black History Month, and Bloomberg Radio is celebrating pivotal moments in the U.S. black history uh, each day. Here at today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young.
2: On this day in black history in 1989, attorney Ron Brown becomes the first African-American elected national chairman of the Democratic Party. As chairman, Brown played a key role in securing the 1992 election of Bill Clinton, who was the first Democrat to win the U.S. presidency since Jimmy Carter in 1976. So in 1993, Clinton nominated Brown as Commerce Secretary. And when the Senate confirmed him, Brown became the first black person to hold that cabinet post in U.S. history. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio.
1: All right. Uh, that does it for us today, Jeannie Shanzano. I mean, what are you going to be watching quickly? We've only got like 10 seconds, so you got to keep it quick. And when I say what are you going to be watching, I mean on the geopolitical front.
3: Um, I, I, I'm I'm really focused on this impeachment right now, but the point yeah. you made earlier, um, I, I'm fascinated by that, that people in Washington see a, a, a way to come to an agreement, but people at home don't see that. So this sort of division between Washington, D.C. and what's going on at home is really, really tough to surmount.
1: Really tough to surmount. I also just want to note that February 18th is the House GameStop hearing. So of next week, we'll get into that post-Valentine's Day policy talk. I'm Kevin Cirilli. <laughs> this is Bloomberg.